and we're thankful for uh, you being here tonight. We'll go ahead and get into the, uh, the scripture right now. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening, and Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done in our lives, and even tonight, Lord, as, as just this time of refreshing. Lord, we ask tonight for just your help. We pray, Lord, for that anointing to be upon your word. Lord, that, that you would just breathe life upon that word, that you would speak to our soul. Lord, you know the condition that we're in, and you know the, the opposition that we have, and Lord, you know the battles that we face. Lord, I pray that you would breathe life, breathe upon that word, and speak to our soul tonight, O oh God. Lord, I thank you for the love of the brethren and sisters here tonight. We pray, God, as we meet in unity, Lord, that you would bless this meeting. I ask, Father, for that anointing to preach and teach as you desire. And Lord, we all ask for that anointing to hear and receive all that you have for us tonight. And Lord, we ask it. In the mighty, matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, everybody says, Amen. oh, glory to God. So tonight we're in, we're going to start out here in Isaiah 62 in verse number one. And this is where we were at in the previous uh, service. One of the things that we see in this passage is we see, we see the spirit of the Lord speaking here and he's surveyed Zion. You see, a lot of times um, we can have blinders upon our situation. Many times we think that we're okay, but we're not willing to look in the mirror. And you know, the Word of God says that the Word is a mirror for the, for the inner man. The Word of God, in other words, can read you unlike anything else. What we need in our lives is we need that standard in our life of who God is to know whether we're right with God or not. As you can find sim we you can find somebody on any street corner to tell you you're all right. Sometimes you can find somebody that knows you're wrong, but they'll pat you on the back and tell you you're all right. They don't really love you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that love, charity in the King James love rejoices in the truth. Amen. Amen. And, and and if somebody truly loves you, they will tell you the truth. And Jesus is the truth. Amen. And when it comes to the scripture here, it says that the spirit of the Lord was surveying Zion and he saw that, that things were not quite right. And in our own lives, we can sometimes we can put on the religious mask and we can put on the suit and the tie and we can sing the songs and we can put our hand to, the, to a plow and we can do some work but not actually work. I've seen people do that on jobs before. I've seen people clock in, but they didn't work. Come on now. I've seen people clock in, but they didn't do anything. They just clocked in. They were present, but they weren't there. They didn't, they didn't lift the burden of the day. And when it comes to the things of God, I want you to know something. God understands us better than we do. God sees our heart. And when God looks at Zion, he knows whether Zion is righteous or not. Let me tell you this. It don't matter how pretty the song is. God knows whether it's coming from a righteous heart. 
It don't matter how beautiful the pastor's tie is, God knows when that man's preaching truth or not. It don't matter how beautiful and eloquent everything looks. It doesn't matter how, how elegant everything is. It doesn't matter how it appears on the outside because God sees to the inside. And one of the things that we talked about in this morning's message was that, that there was ease in Zion and, and God said, whoa. Because Zion was carrying on like everything was great and dandy, but there were people perishing. And see here in this, in this part, it says in verse number one, for Zion's sake, will I not hold my peace? And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. I want to tell you something. God's not satisfied until you're righteous. God's not satisfied with the works that we can do. He's satisfied with the work that Christ did and that that work be reflected in you and through you into the world. God is not satisfied when we rely on our own works our, and our own abilities and our own righteousness. God will never be satisfied with that. God will only be satisfied with the work of Jesus Christ on that cross. And when that work is reflected in you and through you, God then will rest. God then will have peace upon you. But it says God will not have peace until that righteousness begin to shine forth. And I want you to know God's going to continue working on us until that righteousness shines forth the way God wants it to shine forth. God's going to continue to work on us. God's going to continue to work through us. The Holy Ghost is going to continue to teach you, guide you, comfort you, because he's at work in you that Christ be reflected through you. See, the world today, they don't need my righteousness or yours. They need Christ's righteousness. The only thing that's going to save somebody is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we stand in heaven, we're not going to be clothed with the white robes of the assemblies of God or the Southern Baptist Convention. We're going to be clothed in the righteous robes of Jesus Christ. It is the righteousness of Christ that we need. And so here we see that God is not going to hold his peace until that righteousness gives birth in you. And if you want to take that in, in, in context of where we were at today, God's not satisfied until this society begins to reflect Jesus. We can have a church on every corner. We can have four churches on every corner. But God will never be satisfied until the righteousness of Christ begin to be birthed in our nation in our homes, in our schools, in our churches, and in you and me. God will never be satisfied until the Holy Ghost has all of you. God will never be satisfied until you come to a full surrender and a full baptism. He'll never be satisfied until the Holy Ghost got all of you. Until you're fully submerged in him. You see, a lot of times we get, we, we, we like the nation of Israel, whenever Moses was introducing them to God, they came up to that mountain and they said, we want to, we want to go to that God like you do, Moses. And, and Moses said, okay, let's go to that mountain. And the closer they got, the more it thundered, the more that lightning came, that cloud came. Then they said, all right, we've come far enough. You go for us, Moses. 
You see, the closer you get to God, the more you see. You, the more you see your need, the more you see your unholiness. You see, and God wants to deal with those issues, not only in you, not only in the church, but he wants to deal with those issues in our world. You see, in a lot of times in the church world, we settle. I want you to listen to this. God will not settle until things are righteous, but we have grown complacent and we have settled when things get right instead of righteous. And there is a difference, and we're going to look at that tonight. You know, there's times that um, our children may fight, believe it or not, right? And sometimes you've got to cause one of them to apologize to the other one. And any parent knows you don't, you're never satisfied with that apology. That says, I'm sorry. No parent's ever satisfied with that because you know they didn't mean it. Right? And you know, even though they did a right action, they didn't do it with a righteous heart. They didn't come up to the standard that I told them that this family is going to live by. And you see, the righteous standard of God is the standard that God has called the world to live by. And He will judge the world by that righteous standard. And one of the, one of the things where the church has grown complacent is we, we, we're okay as long as things look right. But we shall never be satisfied because our God will never be satisfied until things are righteous. Not just right, but righteous. And so we're going to look at that tonight. I want you to know that God has a plumb line. God knows. If, if you have a plumb line, you know that that plumb line will tell you whether things are straight or not. And God has a plumb line. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But, you know, as, as we give in and we tolerate things in society, we, we allow things that are right on the surface to continue going on. When God will never allow that. If we didn't need the righteousness of Christ, Christ wouldn't have gone to the cross. He wouldn't abhor our sin. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. One of the best verses in the whole Bible. And it's about, it centers, it focuses on righteousness. He went and he bore your sins so that you could wear his righteousness. Man, what a verse. And yet in the church world, as long as somebody looks right, we're okay. We're, we, we will lay down those guards. You see, tolerance, if, if you can, if you can um, go along with society, you're going to go against God. Because God doesn't go along with society. God goes along with the work of the Holy Spirit. Our morals should never reflect society's standard more than God's standard. Just because, just because society thinks it's okay to have two glasses of wine with your steak don't mean God says it's okay. And the church has accepted the world's standard instead of God's. Well, it's right in the world's eyes. It's society. It's, it's, it's 2022. I don't care if it's two. I don't care if it's 102. I don't care if it's 2 B.C. God don't change. 
His standard doesn't change. I didn't make the rules. God did. I'm not making it up as I go. God already established it in the word of God. And he's called us to come up to his standard. But you see, in in the church world, we've allowed ourselves to exchange God's standard for the world's. We've accepted society's standard. Oh, it's just a few curse words. You know, I got a problem with movies that curse. I got a problem with movies that take the Lord's name in vain. I'm sorry. It's one of the Ten Commandments. And I, I just can't sit idly by while you talk bad about my God and use his name like a dog. I wouldn't sit idly by if somebody used my wife's name like that. And I'm sure not going to do it when they say that about my God that made me. But in our church world today, we have people in pulpits that use foul language like that. We have people in pulpits that socially drink. When you say socially drink, what you're meaning is you're accepting the society standards, not God's. It's just a few curse words. It's not the bad ones. But God said, let no corrupt thing proceed out of your mouth. You see, in, in, when it comes to society, society has told us that it's okay for two men to marry or it's okay for two women to marry or it's okay for a little child to take, chemical, uh, to take, to take pills to chemically change their, their nature. But in the Word of God, God calls those things an abomination. He calls those things an abomination. And so we have to make that decision to whether we're going to, whether we're going to accept society standards and live by society standard because it's always changing. It'll change every few years. I mean, at one point in society, they said that slavery was okay. At another point in society, they said it was okay to kill Jews in Nazi Germany. You can't live by society standard. Today, society says it's okay to get an abortion. It's okay to do this. It's okay okay to do that but we've been called to a higher standard we've been called to live righteous not right and we're going to have to make that choice for our own lives whether we're going to live according to God's standard or society's standard but we can't do both at the same time you see the world has run in opposition to God God is holy and the world's not And so many times people will reflect society's standards, but they will tiptoe around God's standards. But God sees and God knows. And I want to tell you this, in the love of Jesus, He's going to run a plumb line over you. He's going to run it. And that plumb line is going to tell whether you've lived righteous or right. Come on now. And I haven't even got on to self-righteousness. But God's, God's going to run that plumb line over our lives. And it will indicate whether we have lived according to God's standard or the world's. Our world today believes that things are okay, but it has no, it has no definite truth 
It has no definite light. It has no definite standard that it judges things by. It's always changing as the demons that control societies change it. It's always changing. But I'm telling you, God never changes. The Word of God says that He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His Word never changes. His standard never changes. His holy and righteous standard never changes. And He never changes. He never changed. And I think, I, I, I appreciate that about God. I really do. I appreciate that about God. Because I know that He's the same. The same God that listened to Jeremiah weep. The same God that, that was there for, for Jacob when he was running for his life and wrestling. The same God that was there with the Apostle Paul in the cold of night. Is the same God that's there for me. The same God that's there for you. He hasn't grown weary. He hasn't grown gray hair. He hasn't, he hasn't gotten hard of vision or hard of hearing. His knees don't hurt. He's just, he's just the same as he always has been because he's the creator. And yet we have people today that would rather reflect a society that's ever changing than a God who never changes. They say, oh, you, you, you're just too, you, you know, you're, you're just too uptight. You're too much like a holy roller. You're too this and you're too old fashioned. I've even heard somebody say you're too, you're, you're too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. You ever heard that before? I have never met one person like that. I have never met one person that had their heart too much on Jesus. I never met one person that prayed too much. I never met one person that fasted too much. I never met one person that was too in love with Jesus. I think he set the standard way high and none of us have hit it. I think that when Jesus was, was baptized in the river Jordan and that voice of the Father came down and said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, I don't think God said that about another person. I think he hit that mark and we, we strive for it like Paul said. We reach forth for it like Paul said in Philippians 3. We strive for that mark. We press toward that mark. But Christ hit it. Christ hit it. And, 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 and the righteousness that God wants to produce in us, you see in here it says that God's not going to, God's going, not going to hold his peace until, and he's not going to rest until righteousness goes forth. You think about that. Sometimes when you, you get into altercations with people in your family or you get into altercations with people in the church and you just, you, you just go, okay, that's fine, that's close enough. Okay, that's fine. That's close enough. But you see, God is not satisfied until his people get righteous. God's not satisfied with this church until this church lives righteous. Until righteousness begin to shine forth through this church. God's not satisfied in you until righteousness of Christ begins to be reflected through you. Let me show you, turn a few pages over to Amos uh, chapter 7. We were in Amos earlier today, and I just want to show you about the plumb line of God. 
page 797 in your ultra-thin, large-print King James Bible. Amos chapter 7, the Lord is going to judge Israel. As many of you know, God over and over judged Israel. And at one point, the ten northern tribes were scattered. They're still scattered. Because judgment came upon them. Because God tried them. And you know, the Bible says that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge the quick and the dead. What that means, biblically speaking, is, is that Jesus is going to judge every single person. When it says the quick, it means those born again. And when it says the dead, it means those that are dead in their sins. Those that have been made alive by the Spirit and those that are still dead in their sins, Jesus is going to come back and He's going to judge the quick and the dead. He's going to judge each and every person according to His righteous standard. Amen. Amen. Lord, have mercy on us. That plumb line, that plumb line that Jesus is going to hold. It's going to be the word of God. And it's going to be straight, not crooked. He's not going, he's not going to bend it a little bit for you. I know what you had to deal with. The word of God doesn't bend. All right. It says in verse number seven, Amos seven, verse seven, it says, thus he, sh thus he showed me and behold, the Lord stood, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said unto me, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a plumb line. Then said the Lord, behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass them by anymore. And I want to just stop right there. This is when God's judgment was coming on Israel. And, and God said, I'm going to take a plumb line and I'm going to set it in the midst of my people and I'm not going to pass them anymore. In other words, when judgment comes, it is what it is. And when Christ comes back, it'll all be wrapped up. Amen. There will not be a do-over. There's no such thing as reincarnation, and you get to try it again as a butterfly. The Word of God says it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Hebrews 9.27 it's appointed unto man once to die, then the judgment. So when the, when, when the Lord descends, when that trumpet sounds, it's all wrapped up. There's no do-overs. You don't get to come back as a butterfly and try again. It's all done. Then the plumb line is going to be held on us. I don't know about you. I don't want to trust me. I don't know about you. I don't want to trust me on that day. I don't want to stand before the Lord and say, well, I did this and I tried that and I did this. I want to hide myself behind thee. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. I want to sing just like that song. I want to stand in the cleft of that rock like Moses did and let that glory pass me by. I don't want to be standing outside that plumb line. I want to be right in the middle where God wants me to be. Amen. I, I don't want to be depending on my own works on that judgment day. I don't want to stand before the Lord and have to clear my throat and, <coughs> and, and try to give an answer for why I did this or why I didn't do that. I want to stand before the Lord and be hidden in the cross.
Amen? A lot of times when we look at righteousness, you, you, and, and, and you, can, you can dive down into what it actually means to be righteous, but it means to come up to God's standard. Kind of touched on that a little bit. You can't get there until God justifies you. He justifies you by faith. And, 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 and that justification brings you up to that righteous standard that God imputes to you. Not your own, but Christ's. But I want to dive down into this aspect for a second. Righteousness. Let's, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Because I want to show you that God wants, God wants you God wants you to reflect righteousness. Matthew chapter 5. God has called you to not live for yourself, but that he would be glorified. Amen. In this Sermon on the Mount, beginning in verse number 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, but put it under a bushel. But put it on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all them, unto all that are in the house. Listen to this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What that saying is, God wants you to get to that point to where His, His glory is seen through you. That people will glorify God. That they'll see a reflection of, of Jesus in you. That's the hope of glory. It says in Colossians that, that Christ in you is the hope of glory. And I want to tell you something. What the world needs today is they don't need us to go around establishing our own right standard. They don't need us pontificating about what we think is okay and what we don't think is okay. They don't need us to have some talk show and talk it out and all this kind of stuff. God's already talked it out. He's already set the standard. He's just called us to come up to that standard. Amen? God doesn't need us to, to, to pontificate about it and try to, to try to do this and try to do that. God has called us to surrender and submit to the authority of the Word of God. And as we do that, I want to tell you something. As we do that, the light of Jesus Christ will begin to shine and reflect through you. He is the Word of God made flesh. Now, the, the, the point of it is, is that if you go back and you read where we started at, God was not satisfied until Zion, right, began to reflect that glory. Until Zion began to reflect that glory. I want to tell you something. God's not satisfied with us going through the motions. Let me say it like this. God's not satisfied with you giving him right actions when it doesn't come from a place of righteousness. You know what I mean? When you, when, when, when you sing the song, but you don't mean it? Come on now. The, the, the right thing is to take my wife to dinner on our anniversary. But you know I can do it without the right spirit. Well, 
They told me I got to take you to eat because it's our anniversary. I have to instead of I want to. You see, the, the, the difference is that it all changes based on why we do what we do, not what we do. I want to tell you something. God wants your worship. But there is a time in, in Israel's history, if you go back and you read Isaiah chapter 1, and you can even carry it even further into Ezekiel, but there was a time in, 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 in Israel's history, God said, I'm fed up with your new moons, I'm fed up with your Sabbaths, I'm fed up with your sacrifices, I'm fed up with your worship, I don't want any more of it, I'm done with it. And if you talk to somebody that puts so much weight on the, the, the Hebraic, you know, uh, celebrations and the feast days and all that, they can't, they can't handle that verse. But there's a point in time when God says, I'm done with your feast. I'm done with your Sabbaths. Because they were not coming from a righteous heart. And God doesn't change. We're in the New Testament now, yes. I believe the standard's even higher. I don't believe that the New Testament lowers the bar. I believe that it raises the bar. In the Old Testament, you couldn't commit adultery with your neighbor. In the New Testament, you're not even supposed to look upon a woman with lust in your heart or you've committed adultery in your heart. I believe God raises the standard. In the Old Testament, you couldn't murder somebody. New Testament, you're not supposed to be angry ungodly anger so does God raise it or low I believe God raises it let me show you something let me show you something in the book of Luke turn, turn with me over here to, to the book of Luke when whenever the whenever the Lord deals with it whenever the Lord deals with a subject he always does it in, in, in the Gospels, he always does it in a way that ministers life. He always does it in a way that ministers life. Let me take you over here to, uh, to the, are you in Luke? Okay, let me take you over here to uh, Luke chapter 12. And let's run down to verse number 31. You see, so many times people, people desire certain things and, th and they desire the things of the world to, to reflect the standard of the world. You know, the world uh, today, the world is so scared about inflation and they're so scared about their 401k and they're so scared about the stock market. They're so scared about Russia and China and they're so scared about the virus and the this and the that and they're, they're scared about everything right now. And you know, the sad thing is, is that the church world will begin to reflect the standards of the world. You hear me? You see, the, 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 the church world will begin to reflect the world. Just like it always has. And God will never accept that. God, listen, God will not accept a church that is full of fear. God says that perfect love cast out all fear. Now, I understand why the world is glued to Fox News and CNN and why they think the sky is falling. I understand because they don't have hope. 
They don't have a rock higher than themselves. They're on sinking sand. But why the church? Why is the church giving in to fear like the world? Why are we running around acting like the sky is falling when our God has the world in the palm of his hand? When our, when our God spoke this world into existence, when our God is our provider, he's our Jehovah, he's the one that meets our needs, he's the one that speaks calm to the raging seas, and they stop. He is the God that healeth thee. He is the God who is a light in my darkness. He is the God who is my shepherd. I know I'm not going to get off track when I've got a good shepherd. All i got to do is listen and follow that voice. Now, I understand, like I said, why the world is given over to fear, because they, that is all that they're being taught right now, and they don't have a rock to stand on. But we've got the church world all twisted up and tied up like a pretzel, bound by fear, moved by the spirit of the age instead of the Holy Spirit, finding hope in politicians instead of hoping in Christ, and finding peace when the, when the nation is prosperous instead of finding peace in the Lord Jesus. You see, the word, Scripture tells us that that peace passes all understanding. Did you know that God can give you peace when the stock market busts up? Did you know that God could put peace in your heart if our nation was taken over by another nation? Did you know that? Did you know that your peace is not contingent on the United States of America standing? Now, I, I, I mean, I hope it stands. Don't get me wrong. But that's not where my peace comes from. My hope is built on Christ and His righteousness. Amen? Everything else is sinking sand. Everything else, every other nation is going to fall. I want to tell you something. When, when, when everything's said and done and we're in the millennium, the new millennium, come on, we get a little eschatology now. When we're in the new millennium, I want to tell you something. There's one flag that's going to fly. One, and it ain't going to be red, white, and blue. It's going to be white like the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the earth. It will be the flag of the Lamb of God. That's the flag we'll be flying. Now, again, I, 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 don't, you know, I don't wish anything wrong to come on America because America has, has, has pr prospered because it has preached the gospel. It has allowed freedom of religion, and we thank God for it, and we pray for it, and we thank God for the nation. But you know what? That's not where I get my peace from. I get my peace from the throne. I get my peace from the throne. And, and, and the point I'm trying to make, I'm kind of belaboring it a little bit going around, but I'm just following the Lord. But the, the, the thing I want you to see, though, is that we've got a church world that is following that is following like a little lamb to the slaughter. It is following the world. 
When the world thinks the sky's falling, so does the church. When the world thinks that everything's going wrong, so does the church. When the world thinks we're all going to be bankrupt and have to live in bunkers and not eat MREs for the next 50 years, so does the church. We've even got the church folks selling that stuff on Christian TV, if you call it that. Giving over to fear. When my God can change the whole world with his finger. Well, you're just not reading the writing on the wall. Well, I'm reading what God said in the word. And what he says right here, I will hold. It says, but rather seek you the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God knows what you need. And we, we have to come to that place to where either the world is right and we need to panic or God's right and we can just hold that righteous standard. Amen. Who's right? Whose standard do you, will you live by? Well, I just don't think that's right. Is it righteous? That's the thing. Is it righteous? There was a time in, 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 um, in the book of Acts whenever the, the church was getting off the ground running and, and, and there was a time when revival just really began to break out. This is right before Stephen's time and, 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 and God was moving in a great and mighty way. And How many of you know that sometimes when God's moving like that, sometimes people dip their toes in the water but their heart's not there yet? Come on. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? They get caught up in the moment, but they don't understand what they're doing yet. And I'm reminded of Ananias and Sapphira. Acts chapter 5. They did a right work, but they didn't do it with the right heart. Amen. Let me show you that in Acts 5. Turn with me over there to Acts 5. See, when you get caught up in what everybody else is doing, instead of caught up in what God's doing in you, you're going to get off track. Let me say that again. If you get caught up in what everybody else is doing, instead of getting caught up in what God's doing in you, you're going to get off track. Hear what the Spirit is saying. In Acts chapter 5, it's well, you got to... Read verse 37 above it in, in, in the last verse of, of chapter 4. It says, Having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. What do, they, what do these people do? They had land, they sold it, and they took everything to the church. And I'm not, we don't take up an offering here, so I'm not trying to do that. I just There's a point I'm making here. But it says in the next verse, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Sold a possession. Did God ask him to sell it? Did God ask him to sell it? No. God did not ask him to sell it. But he sold a possession and he kept back part of it. Kept back part of the price. His wife also being privy to it and brought brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. In other words... 
He wanted, he wanted what everybody else got. Ooh, look at what they're doing. They're doing a great thing for God. Can I, you know, in, in the eyes of men, it looked like they, that Ananias and Sapphira were godly folks. They came up, they came up to a right standard, but they missed the righteous standard. They did a right work, but they didn't do it with a righteous heart. And you see, God's not satisfied with our motions. God's not satisfied with us giving him half a heart. God's not satisfied with us having bitterness in our heart. He's not satisfied with us having unforgiveness in our heart. He's not satisfied with us being grumpy, grouchy. When he's the, the, the rose of Sharon. But you see, these guys, this couple, they came and they did this right work. It reminds me of whenever Jesus was in the temple and and, and everybody began to go put money in the collection box and a little old widow put in two mites. And Jesus said she put in more than everybody else. See, those religious folks, those Pharisees and Sadducees and, and, and all the religious crowds, the lawyers, the scribes and everybody, they were blown away. What do you mean? Everybody else put in way more than she did. But God doesn't see it the way that men see it. God sees the why. God sees the why. And can I tell you this? God's not satisfied until your why gets right. Why you come to church. Why you read the Bible. Come on. Why you sing. Why you do what you do. God's not satisfied until we do what we do for his glory. That his glory be reflected in us and through us. God said, I will not rest until that righteousness shine forth in Zion. I don't know about you, but that I'm just from East Texas, so I think like this. That means God was going to work overtime on them until they got it right. God said, I'm not going to rest until the righteousness spring forth. That means God's going to keep working. You know, whenever Paul was resisting the Holy Spirit, when Paul was resisting God, he said, you've kicked against the pricks. Right? Paul kept pushing back and pushing back. God was keeping on working and working. And then finally, God said, I just got to blind this man. I got to knock him off his horse, his high horse, and blind him. And you know what? If we keep pushing back against God, God's got to work overtime on us. He might just have to blind us too. He might just have to knock us off our high horse because God will not be satisfied until his people live righteously, not just simply right. The right thing to do? Yes. If if God put it on, sell that thing, go bring it to the church. Sure, that's the right thing, but do it with a righteous heart. And when they held back part of it, but pontificated like they were all this, they messed up. And you see, they lied to the Holy Ghost. It cost them their life. 
Let me just touch on that in case, you know, you got a problem there, like a Jehovah's Witness or somebody. You can't lie to someone who's not a person. <laughs> the Holy Ghost is a person, <laughs> okay? You can't lie to an inordinate thing. But, but Peter said, you lie to the Holy Ghost, and they both died that day. Now, I thank God that when we go through the motions and we do right works, but not with a righteous heart, I thank God that some of us don't drop dead because there probably wouldn't be anybody. But let's learn what the Spirit is teaching us. And let's realize God's not satisfied until we come up to that place to where what we do, we do for His glory, that it be reflected through us. You see, they, they, they would rather reflect the standard of what everybody else was doing. But everybody else was doing it to glorify God. They were doing it because everybody else was doing it. That's the difference. That's the difference. And you see, in our own lives, God is not going to ever be satisfied with a people that can be bought off from righteousness to lower down to a right standard. We have a problem in the church world today because uh, not only are we fearing what the world fears, but we're reflecting their values as well, as I said earlier, with things like same-sex marriage or abortion and things like that. All through the church's history, there's one of the saddest commentaries, I believe, was um, I read in Germany, in Nazi Germany, whenever they were slaughtering the Jews. And there was a church that was on the train tracks. There's a documentary called Sing a Little Louder. And the, the, the train that was bringing these Jews to exterminate them because of their race stopped behind the church for lunch. And while they were stopped, it just so happened to be on a Sunday. This is not even a hundred years ago, guys. Not even a hundred years ago. That train stopped behind that church. The soldiers ate lunch. And the people that were herded like cattle in the train were crying for help because they knew what was going to happen. They were crying out, help us, somebody help us, help us. And the church was having service. And, and, and sometimes when you're in church and, you know, there's that law, you know, there's that law where there's no organ playing, no singing going on, nobody shouting for joy. It was kind of like that law. And everybody began to hear the cries of people. But nobody was willing to do what was righteous. And everybody sat there. And the, the worship leader, I don't know if it was a pastor slash worship leader, but the worship leader stood up and started doing a hymn. Take out your hymn books. Turn to page 188. And they began to sing. But as they began to sing, the, the, the Jews that were about to be exterminated, they started crying out for help even louder. And they could still hear it in the church. And that worship leader said, Sing louder. And they drowned out. Listen. They drowned out 
pleas for help with praises for Jesus. They did a right thing, but it was not with a righteous heart. And I want to tell you something. I believe God's plumb line is going to hit the church. We've got so many people that do right things. We will go to church. We will even sing songs in the middle of town square. But they're on the train to hell. And all the church can do is sing louder. And put our worship song on YouTube. But all around us is a train with people headed to termination. Hell. And you see, that you, when, when you get that vision and you get that understanding, what would God rather us do, a right thing or a righteous thing? God would rather you do a righteous thing. Sharing the gospel with those that are perishing. You see, the, 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 the people that were in that church, they didn't want to rock the boat. They didn't want to, because they might get in trouble themselves. Well, you know what? Jesus rocked the boat and he got in trouble coming to rescue us. He got in trouble and he rocked the boat by coming for you. The world hated him. The world plucked his beard out. The world whipped him like a dog. The world nailed him to a cross. The world treated him harshly. Spit on him. Blindfolded him and hit him. And said, prophesy, who hit you? The world did all those things. And he endured. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. Can I tell you something? You might have to rock the boat. You might have to ruffle feathers. But there's righteous things that need to be done. There's people that are perishing without the gospel. And I believe that that, that picture... It is a true story. You can look up the documentary, sing a little louder. I believe that that's going to pale in comparison. We look at that now, not a hundred years ago, and we say, how in the world could they sing while people perished? I think the same thing today. I think it's going to be a thousand times worse when all we've done in our churches is sing when there's people perishing around us God would rather us do the righteous work God would rather us do the righteous work than what is right you see when it comes to when it comes to the word of God here God knows why we do what we do and I'm not, you know, and, and, and it may be to the point to where you're not able to do this and you're not able to do that, but God will give you something to do for the right cause. If you want to live righteous before God and you ask God, what can you do? God will show you what you can do. I will close with this. Jesus said, Jesus said this. 
He said He came not for the righteous, but for the sinners. He came for the lost. He came for the lost. Who do we go for? Who do we go for? I want to ask you that as, as we close. You know, Whitfield, Whitfield said, Christ will be our whole righteousness or we will not have a whole redemption. I believe that many times we, 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 we stop intellectually in our head, but we don't allow that thing to have its full work in us. You see, we started out in Isaiah 62, and it's very strongly, profoundly, God says that he will not rest until that shines forth, that righteousness shine forth through you and through me, through our churches. God will never be satisfied with a church that goes through the motions. If you think about Mary and Martha, you can think about the rich young ruler. You can think about all kinds of different examples of what I'm talking about. God wasn't satisfied with what Martha was doing. He was satisfied with what Mary did. A rich young ruler, he did all kinds of right works, but his heart wasn't in it because he wasn't willing to go all the way for Jesus. The same way. And God invites you. God invites you to that same place. Don't, don't be a reflection of the world standard. Don't be a reflection of the world standard. Whether that's being okay with what they say is okay or giving in to the same fear that the world gives into. God's called you to a higher standard. And that standard is to be a, to be a witness for him. That he would live in you. That he would live in you. That his glory would be seen through you. His glory through you. That's, that's the call of God over our lives tonight. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray to the Lord. Father, we thank you for this night, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity to hear your word. And Lord, I pray that we would not be the kind of people that sing a little louder while righteousness perish. I pray, God, that you would give us a heart to not only do the right thing, but to do it with the righteous spirit. To not lean on our own self-righteous works, but, God, to press toward that cross to where your work be complete in us. Lord, we ask that you would have your way in us, that you would stir up the Spirit of God within us, that you would breathe upon us, refresh us, fill us, Lord. Baptize us in that holy fire. Set us apart, Lord, for a holy work in this generation. Lord, let us not sit idly by while society crumbles around us, but Lord, give us the courage and the boldness that comes with that holy fire, Lord, to lift up your name to this generation. Lord, I pray... I pray, Father, that you would have your work done in us. And we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Everybody says, amen, amen, amen. We're going to invite you tonight, if you want to come to the, to the altar and minister to the Lord tonight, we, we, we will pray right now and ask the Lord to meet you here. These altars are a place where things come to die. Scripture says, cast your cares on him. No altar was ever any good until...